Last week was gluttony. How'd you guys do this week? Uh, were you fasting or feasting? Uh, if you raised your hand, you then failed uh, week two's humility talk. Uh, so it's a struggle constantly. Sex. Is it the enemy? The forbidden fruit? The greatest and most shameful of all sins? Or is it the key to happiness? The ultimate fulfillment of desire? Is it sacred or is it sinful? Is it for procreation, personal intimacy, or physical pleasure? Does sex mean nothing or does sex mean everything? Why is it so taboo to talk about? Heard a story of a pastor who was preparing a sermon to preach on sex, and his wife was a little surprised by the topic, and she was embarrassed. And so she says, honey, sex is a private thing, and so uh, maybe you should pick something else that Sunday. Why don't you preach that sermon on water skiing? You, you said you've been wanting to do that sermon on water skiing. And after a bit more talking and a bit more convincing, uh, he decided the water skiing sermon was the way to go. And so on Sunday morning, that Sunday morning, his wife was a little bit sick. And so she decided to stay home and, and stay in bed. And so without her there, the preacher tossed the water skiing sermon and taught on sex instead. That afternoon, a couple of the wife's friends from the church came by to visit her to see how she was doing. And they told her about the sermon. They said, well, he spoke with such vigor this morning. One, the other lady agreed and she said he was so eloquent. He was full of enthusiasm. And the minister's wife was puzzled. She said, vigor, enthusiasm? I don't understand. He's only done it twice, once up at the lake, once at the river, and he got hurt both times. <laughs> this morning in our Seven Deadly Sin series, we turn to lust. There was a first century Jewish uh, teaching method called rabbinic hyperbole. And rabbinic hyperbole was to overstate something so as to make a point. And so Jesus says this, using rabbinic hyperbole in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. This is hyperbole, okay? Don't take this literally. Next week, we're going to have a bunch of people looking like pirates, okay? <laughs> Hooks and eye patches walking in here. Arr! Uh, it's rabbinic hyperbole. So if it's overstating something to make a point, what's the point that Jesus is trying to make? He's saying this, do whatever it takes to avoid sin. Do whatever it takes. And with lust, it's no different. We need to do whatever it takes to rid it and rid its influence from our lives. Some of you need to exchange your cell phone, your smartphone, for like a phone that doesn't have the internet, okay? Uh, go to AT&T and go, you know, I'm, I'm eligible for a downgrade, okay? <laughs> Ask my wife. Uh, you need to safeguard your technology. You maybe need to get rid of some of the channels that are on your TV. You need to download um, some software that will help your computer not go to certain sites. There's a lot of shame that's attached to lust. And for many people in this room, you're, you're starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Like you're afraid to cough or even laugh because then someone around you might think that this is your issue. Let's just dispel that right now. This is a safe place. Okay, there's freedom here. You can laugh. You can move as normal. We're all in this together. Here is our 16th century painting for this morning. Lots of censorship, okay? 
very naughty painting 500 years ago. This is from uh, Peter Bruegel, the Elders series called The Seven Deadly Sins, and this one is entitled Lust. It's very disturbing. It's also on your sermon notes. And the animal corresponding with the vice of lust is the goat. The goat. And here's a picture of some of those animals that have always been traditionally been associated with the seven vices. Uh, Are you familiar with the term the Judas goat? When a butcher arrives to kill sheep, to kill lambs for their meat, he brings along with him the Judas goat. Uh, You see, the sheep won't get into the trailer of the butcher by themselves. And so the butcher pulls up to where the sheep pen is, and he opens up the trailer and unloads the ramp, and then the Judas goat is trained. He walks out of the trailer, down the ramp, to all the sheep. And then he gets all the sheep's attention. Then he takes one step back up the ramp and lets them know, hey, it's safe, guys. And then he takes another step up the ramp and looks back at the sheep. And then he takes another step at the ramp and looks back at the sheep. And slowly they all begin to follow all the way to the slaughterhouse. So it is with lust. Lust is... Handing control of my body and mind over to illicit cravings. And I want to say this. Lust is not the worst of sins. It's just the most popular. Uh, 40 billion people look at pornography every day. Uh, Barner Research says that 70% of men, 30% of women. The pornography industry makes more money than Major League Baseball, uh, NBA, and NFL combined. Adults think that it's always or usually wrong, 54% of adults. But in the age 13 to 24, this is why it's PG-13, 13 to 24, only 32% think that viewing pornography is wrong. Uh, 56% of that age group thinks that not recycling is wrong. 56 thinks, you know, if you don't recycle, that's wrong. But 30% say it's okay to view pornography. Uh, that means that if, if I were to throw away my Diet Coke in a regular trash can, most 13 to 24-year-olds would go, you can't do that. But going to boobs.com, that's fine. This is a big deal. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 7. It's right in the middle of your Bible, right after Psalms. The verses will be on the screen. It says this. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. So the author is describing this fictional scene where he watches a young man be tempted by lust. And several things to point out just in these opening verses. First, he's going down the street near her corner as the day is fading. He puts himself in a place of temptation. If you're an alcoholic, don't go to a bar. If you struggle with gambling, don't go to a casino. So here's this young man walking down the street of a promiscuous woman alone at dark. Lust thrives in privacy and isolation. And lustful people often feel a sense of shame, which motivates them all the more to keep it within and hidden. With trying to overcome lust, we keep it private, 
trying to tackle it alone. We make fervent resolutions, failing to live up to them, and then despising ourselves afterwards. And then falling into despair and letting ourselves get in it again, this time even deeper. And to get ourselves out of the cycle, we we had to open up ourselves to, to someone that we trust, that loves us, that won't judge us, and get accountability. Re- countering lust requires intentional community. Let's continue the story. Verse 10, it says this, Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home, now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He's gone away on a long journey. She comes in swinging, right? She comes in hot. She's not being subtle at all. What is he to do in the situation? She's already kissed him. Her husband's not home. The candles are lit. The music's already playing. And here's the lie that hooks him, and it's the lie that hooks you and I as well. No one's going to know. And if no one knows, then nobody gets hurt. If only that were true. Look what happens next. Verse 21 says this, With persuasive words she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her, like an ox going to the slaughter like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Listen, play it forward. Play it forward. Look down the road and see the consequences of your actions before you do those actions. Because following lust will very likely result in you losing the best things in your life. Alan Patton tells this powerful story of lust in his book. And in it, you read of a a police officer in South Africa who who commits adultery with a young woman late night at a vacant lot, lot outside of town. And here's the words on the screen. Follow along. And how long he stayed there, he could not remember. But at least he rose and came out of the vacant ground, and his body and clothes stank with the smell of the weeds, and the stinking was a symbol of his corruption. And he thought again of his children with special agony, for what kind of man would destroy what he had created and hurt what he had loved? In those last 12 hours, the whole world had changed because of one insensate act. And what madness makes a man pursue something so unspeakable Deaf to the cries of wife and children and mother and friends and blind to their danger to grasp one unspeakable pleasure that brought no joy, 10,000 of which pleasures were not worth one of the hairs on his children's head. I just read that and it just broke me. Play it forward. I know that this is not a fun sermon, but I'm not trying to get you to like me. I'm trying to help you not let lust destroy your life. Because as a pastor for 20 years, I've had a front row seat to it happening to many people's lives. Just even this past week, I looked back at a text message that a husband had sent me 
someone who doesn't attend our church. And he opens it with, hey, is this John? And I said, yeah. He goes, I just want to make sure I know who I'm talking with. John the pastor, right? And I said, yeah. And then he says, I've got this friend at work, and we've been hanging out together. You get where I'm going with this, right? And I said, yeah, I understand. And then we begin this dialogue back and forth, and I, I just keep pointing him to his wife and kids. This pull is so strong. And if you, if you give the devil a pinky toe, he'll grab your ankle. And if you grab your ankle, he'll, grab your le- he'll pull your leg. And if he pulls your leg, he pulls your whole self down with it. it the, the momentary pleasure and gratification you get from indulging your lust is never worth the guilt and consequences afterwards, ever. We ask of sex something that it cannot deliver. After sex, even the greatest sex imaginable, you're still you. Your problems are still there. Your life is unchanged. You're still stuck where you were. It isn't the answer. It doesn't make you more fulfilled. The most powerful sex organ we have lies right in between your ears. Thought I might say something else there, right? (laughs) Get your minds out of the gutter. Your brain is the most powerful sex organ we have, by far. If you're attracted to someone, within one-fifth of a second, your brain starts to release chemicals throughout your body. A 2010 study of men's bodies showed that a new attraction— sparks the same amount of activity in the brain as cocaine. The most powerful sex organ we have is between our ears. Look at what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard the the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoa, Jesus, calm down. I didn't do anything. I I just thought something. When someone gives you a thoughtful gift and it turns out that you already have that gift, you'll say, it's okay, it's the thought that counts. And that's what Jesus is saying here with lust. It's the thought that counts. It's not just the actions, it's the thought that counts. Our thoughts are the first steps up the trailer, up the ramp to the slaughterhouse. In lust, you damage your capacity to love. You are learning to love and leave, not love and stay. And marriage is about love and stay. Now, the heavenly virtue that counters this deadly sin is chastity or purity. And chastity is greater than lust. It's greater than lust. When I put that slide together, I had to really make sure that was the greater than sign and not the less than. So I had to channel my inner ninth grade algebra to realize that's greater than. It is, okay? Because that would have been weird. And chastity is, is more than just refraining from inappropriate sex. It is a positive project, a project of becoming a person with an outlook to selflessly appreciate good and attractive things by keeping those good goods ordered to the good of the whole person, it empowers our vocation to love. And like all virtues, it takes work. Compare, for example, the following two married persons, okay? Let's call the first person Jane. Jane, although she resists them, Jane regularly struggles with sexual feelings for men who are not her husband. 
okay? The second married person, let's call him Joe. Joe enjoys ardent affection for his wife throughout the ups and downs of 30 plus years of marriage. Are they both faithful? Well, yes. Jane successfully exercises self-control over her wayward desires, but only Joe embodies fidelity as virtue. His faithfulness is deeply rooted in who he is. It's a natural outflow of his love. While we can give credit to Jane for her efforts of staying faithful, her faithfulness stays on the surface, right? It's the uncomfortable voice of conscience that prevents her from making those mistakes. By contrast, Joe's desires are in harmony with his considered judgment. Who wouldn't rather have a spouse with Joe's fidelity than Jane's self-control? This is the virtue of chastity, of purity. Sex is meant to be and express a heroic fidelity to one person till death do us part. Lust, by contrast, pretends sex and sexual pleasure is a party for one. It's all about me. It's a self-gratification project. In lust, sexual pleasure is divorced from love and mutual self-giving. I want my pleasure, says the lustful one, and I want it right now. Lust says, I want it. Love says, I want you, and I want you to have all of me forever. It's a different. It's different. Lust is a vice then because it does not honor the fullness of sex. Lust moves the sacred to the sexy. It moves the holy to the horny. Lust demands more but gives less. Lust wants a body. Love asks for a partner to be faithful to. Lust turns people into objects to be consumed. Lust distorts love. To where we don't even know what love is anymore. There's a modern fable about the afterlife. Picture a heavenly field above it all and people wandering around. They have passed from death, from life to death. And in the field of the walking dead, there was a small man connected by a chain to a large ogre. And this was not a Shrek, okay? This was not a friendly ogre. he had the face of like a sadistic clown mask. Steam or heat radiated out of his face and his shoulders. He had the, the teeth of a shark. And the ogre walked ahead of the small man. And as they walked, the small man saw Jesus in the distance. And contrary to what the ogre desired, the small man ran up to Jesus. And Jesus Jesus notices the ogre, and he says this, Must you still be controlled by this one? One lifetime destroyed on earth, isn't that enough? And the small man says, you don't get it. I I cannot stop. It's not my fault. When the small man answered, it was revealed that he and the ogre spoke in unison. That they, in fact, were not two different beings, but what one person had become. They were one. And Jesus says with compassion, can't you see that this ogre is not your friend? It doesn't return the love that you have for it. And the ogre pulls on the chain as if to do the bidding of the small man. And he says, don't call him an ogre. His name is pleasure. He demands that you call him that. Jesus responds, it is not even a he. 
And the pleasure you think he brings comes at a price too high to pay. Come now. And he reaches his arms towards and says, come now, let me kill him. And the ogre says with a snarl, you'll do no such thing. And at this, it was only the ogre that spoke. And the small man noticed for the first time as he yanked the chain that it was not the ogre that controlled him, but he that controlled the ogre. And he turned away to stare at the ground. Something seemed to awaken the small man in this moment. And Jesus speaks with tenderness, this time by name. He says, yes, Michael, that's it. You can be free from your enslavement. And the small man responded, if you kill it, you will kill me as well. I need it. It makes me forget all I've lost. Jesus says, all that you have lost is because you cling to it. If I kill it, it will not kill you. On earth, you fed it and fed it until it became so large that it consumed you and your life. Even now in death, you cling to it. The ogre then changed its tactics. This time it spoke with tenderness and fear. Uh, don't, you don't want to do this. He can do it. He can kill me. We've been through so much together. I've given you so much pleasure in life. Come now. Let's leave this place. I know what you need. He's trying to take it away. In a moment, the, the small man watched his whole life play out before his eyes on the ground. And he saw the toll that lust took, the damage it did to his relationships and to his own soul. The small man looks at, after watching his whole life in a moment, turns to look at Jesus and says, will it hurt? Jesus says, yes. But you said, Jesus goes, no, I said it wouldn't kill you. I didn't say it wouldn't hurt. Then do it. I'm finished with it. Take it away. In a moment, he grabbed the ogre, and he's getting ready to, 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 to pick him up, and the ogre writhed in protest. He says, no, I'll behave, I promise. It's not like before. You, you've done this before, right? You, but you weren't able to shake the images out of your head, and so uh, come back to me. Don't do it. I can give you pleasure from any person you've ever laid your eyes on. Don't do it. Just as the, Jesus was about to kill the ogre, the man said, wait. And the ogre had this look of hope, a half grin. And he looks at Jesus, the small man looks at Jesus and says, I'm sorry it took so long. And Jesus picks up the ogre and like Zangief from the original Street Fighter, picks him up, throws him up in the air and breaks his back over his knee. And the man braved the pain as he watched Jesus fl fling the lifeless ogre to the ground. The chain was broken. It disintegrated. Heaven was silent, but then the lifeless ogre started to move. At first, the man feared that it wasn't dead, but then a rainbow of light encircled it. And as the light encompassed its body, it was beginning to be transformed, no longer a hideous beast, but became a beautiful, radiant unicorn. The small man climbed on top of the majestic steed, and Jesus watched them as they soared to the great city. Well, what happened to the ogre? Most evils in our world are beautiful things that are corrupted and distorted. Lust is a distortion of pleasure. When lust is killed, pleasure and joy can be expressed in all kinds of beautiful ways, ways unexpected. What I love 
about most about this fable is that it alludes to the true nature of sex. Sex is not bad. It's beautiful. It's God-given. The desires inside of us are not evil. Lust has distorted sex. Lust made a heavenly unicorn a snarling ogre. And it's a cheap substitute for the real thing. I'm not trying... If you're out there and you, you know, you're on Tinder and all these different things and, and you are ha having lots of partners... I'm not trying to ruin your sex life. I'm trying to give you a real one. The best kind. The kind it was made for. And I believe this morning that Jesus wants to break the back of lust in your life. I want to invite knowing the band to come up. As you came in, you see that there's a red card that everybody has on their chairs. And this red card has a one sentence on it. It says, hey... What is God, what are you sensing God might be asking you to lay before him in regard to lust? I don't know what it is. It, you can use abbreviations. We're not going to look at these, but there's trash cans. There's two up here, and there's two on the sides. And during this song, we want to encourage you to write out whatever that is. I know it's dark. God knows what you're writing. But it's a symbol of, I've held on to this too long. Or it's held on to me too long. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a bad past. Maybe it's something that someone did to you. I don't know. God does, though. If you feed something, it grows. It is the lie of one last time. I'm going to call him one last time. I'm going to watch this one last time. We're going to get together one last time. I'm going to go over there one last time. No, you won't. Because when you feed something, it grows. What if the last time was the last time? What if the last time was the past? You're a new creation in Jesus. And so, God, I pray that for all of us. This is, it, it's just a big deal. It affects us. It affects our relationships. It, it affects our minds. God, I pray that you would give us the strength to counter lust with love. God, I pray that because of this morning, because of what's going to take place in this room in the next several minutes, I pray, God, that, that the marriages would be restored, that healing would take place. So, God, help us to be honest and open. The parts, this part of ourselves, many of us have, have kept from you. Oh, God, I give you my whole house, but this, there's this one closet that just we'll just keep that locked God we turn over the keys of every aspect of our lives to you and so we need you we love you in Jesus name amen and so during this song uh, we want to encourage you throughout as you feel the spirit leading would you drop it in there we're not going to look at these we're going to burn them uh, as a symbol of they're gone they're gone and they're in the sides. And we're going to have some of our 
leaders, some of the people in our church who love Jesus and love you, they're gonna be available on the sides over here and over here. That if, 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 if something struck a chord with you and you're like, I, I've gotta be able to talk to someone, I, I, I've kept this quiet. Uh, there's nothing you can tell them that would make them think any different of you. They don't have a judgmental bone in their bodies. They just wanna love you, pray for you. We believe God's big enough to overcome this. So during this song, feel free to write something down. What is that one thing? What is that thing that God's asking you to move, to lay before him? And you drop it in these trash cans in Jesus' name. And let's stand as we begin to worship the King of Kings. reaches through the darkness and pulls me into your embrace. You're lifting me up on your shoulders, my soul now to stand. 